Welcome to a night of total terror. Welcome to the Undead Wookiee Podcast, Episode 2, Batman the Killing Joke. This episode will contain spoilers for both the new animated film and for the 1988 graphic novel. The Undead Wookiee Cast is a fortnightly podcast focusing on horror and sci-fi. However, there will be times where we will touch on other genres here, as our nerdiness knows no bounds. On this episode, we'll be looking at the Batman the Killing Joke both the recently released animated film and the seminal 1988 graphic novel written by Alan Moore and drawn by Brian Boland. However, before I go any further and before I introduce my co-host for this episode, I would like to thank everyone who listened to the first episode. I've had some fantastic feedback, all of it positive, so thank you. Um, I would also like to say a thank you to the guys over on the Horror Movie Podcast, Jay of the Dead, Dr. Shock, and of course Wolfman Josh, Thank you so much for the likes and retweets and mentions and all the responses that you've had to my tweet and to the show. As I tell everybody whom I know, you have to listen to the Horror Movie Podcast as it is brilliant. It also um, It's also the show, along with the Land of the Creep Podcast, um, that has inspired me to embark on my own show. So once again, thanks to everyone who listened and who took the time to let me know what your thoughts were or retweeted, or messaged me on Facebook, I can only say thank you very, very much. It is much appreciated. Okay, then, so let's get down to business and introduce my co-host for this episode. He is our walking bat encyclopedia, a man who, like myself, has had a lifelong obsession with The Dark Knight. He is fresh of a very successful gig at the biggest punk festival in the UK. That is, of course, Rebellion. He's the bass player of the oldest, if not the oldest, punk bands in Wales. It's none other than Mr. John Hunt. Hello and welcome to the Undead Wookie cast. Hello. How are we doing today? Yeah, not so bad, mate. You're all right. Yeah, not so bad. Right. Okay, here we go. First question is, so when did your bat obsession start? Oh, God, probably from the age of six when I first put on the costume myself, like, you know. You couldn't get me out of it, to be honest. Anywhere where I went, it was always, you know, the grey suit with the blue cape and cowl from the animated series. You know, it was just great. Awesome, great. So, did you have a sort of, did you have a, like a cowling moment where you sort of donned it on and suddenly your voice changed? I'm Batman. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> pretty much. Awesome. Okay, here's the other question that we got to look at. Every Bat fan has got their favourite books. Um, I've got a top five. Mm-hmm. Um, so what I thought we'd do is, will you? Your top five of books. We'll have a bit of. We'll have. I'll go with mine, and then we'll uh, we'll compare. Have a bit of a chat about that. So come on, then, John. What is your top five bat graphic novels? Okay, at number five, there's Hush uh, by Jeff Loeb and Jim Lee. At number four, Court of Owls, which is the new Fifty Two. Uh, that's by. Uh, sorry. That's Scott Snyder. Scott Snyder, yeah, and Greg Capallo. Sorry, I couldn't read my handwriting there. <laughs> um, number three is Batman the Killing Joke, obviously, which we're about to discuss. Uh, that's by Alan Moore. At number two is Year One by Frank Miller, of course. And my most favourite of all time, which is at number one, is The Long Halloween, which is by Jeff Loeb again, uh, purely because of just how dark it is, you know. Um, 
I like Batman when he's looking for a serial killer most rather than, you know, the comic book sort of villain. You know, when there's like a sort of edge of realism there, you know, that's what really gets me. And nice. the art as well nice. is absolutely superb. I haven't, ch- I haven't actually read that one, so I think I'm going to have to find that I'll one. I'll lend out. it you one. All right, awesome. Um, the one, so my top five is, um, at number one is The Killing Joke. I absolutely love this book. I think it's fantastic, but we'll really get into that in a minute. The second part, now I'm being a bit naughty here, because uh, obviously it's split over three parts. It's Nightfall. Um, Nightfall was for a very long time, it was my number one pick, because um, I love the, uh, it's the, it's the introduction of, it's the proper introduction of Bane, really. Um, and like, you know, you see where, and I, spoiler alert here, um, you see him when he breaks the bat, mm-hmm. you know, that's an iconic image in there where he's got it lifted him, you know, he's got him above his head. Um, we also get the uh, background story for Azrael and his introduction into the DC universe. Um, I really love this book. Um, it's one of my all-time favourites. The interesting enough, the BBC did an excellent um, audio book, uh, or like a dramatisation of uh, Nightfall, with Michael Goff uh, reprising his role as Alfred. It's it's really really good. You can check that out on Audible.com. I think it's fairly reasonable i think it's about three pounds 99 or about five pound i think but uh, you if you got it on a credit deal it's well worth uh, spending a credit on um my next uh, one is number three is batman dark knight returns i don't think there needs to be a lot said about that it's a classic then you've got batman year one and finally which is a bit of a guilty pleasure for me it's batman versus predator um i remember reading this book when i was much younger um, and just fell in love with it. You've got the iconic clash of two characters. The artwork, some people have said, is a little bit shonky, but actually, I think it's a really, really good book. Um, I'm trying to think if it's still in print. Um, I know you can pick them up fairly reasonable now on Amazon, so there's my top five. So, before we dive into our feature reviews uh, on this episode, I'm going to play you guys the trailer for the new animated movie. Uh, And then we'll be looking at the graphic novel from 1988 by Alan Moore and Brian Boland. I want to talk. (laughs) I've been thinking about you and me about how this is going to end. About who will end up killing who. Perhaps you'll kill me. Perhaps I'll kill you. You know that, don't you? As we said at the start of the show, Batman The Killing Joke is a 1988 graphic novel written by the legendary Alan Moore and drawn by Brian Bolin. It was published by DC Comics, of course, as a one-shot graphic novel. 
The story provides us as an origin story for none other than the clown prince of crime himself, the Joker. Running over a two timelines, the story tells us how one bad day for a down-on-his-luck stand-up comedian finally drives him insane, thus transforming him into the Joker. The story jumps between the two timelines, uh, one, of course, being the present day and the other being the Joker's recollection of his previous life as an engineer at a chemical plant who quits his job to follow his dream of being a stand-up comedian. However, his dream soon becomes a nightmare and the engineer is struggling to support his pregnant wife. Now, in his desperation to support his growing family, his wife is pregnant at this time, the engineer, as we know him at this moment, uh, agrees to help two crooks. Um, he's going to guide them through a chemical factory where he used to work and into the playing card factory next door to this factory. Uh, there's a lot of factories in that sentence. However, whilst at the bar where the hapless engineer is planning this heist along with the two crooks, the police arrive and inform him of the tragic death of his pregnant wife in a household accident. Grief stricken, the engineer tries to back out of uh, the heist, but unfortunately he's bullied into it. And the engineer's bad luck is about to continue. It's been some time since he's been to the uh, chemical plant where he used to work. And to make matters worse, the plant has taken on additional security. But it's clear that the engineer's bad luck has not run out as the crooks force him to wear a red hood. Now, the red hood is significant because it ties uh, the storyline in with the February 1951 story from Detective Comics. And that's in issue 168. Um, as it's the original origin story for the Joker, who at that time was going under the name of the Red Hood. Um, and the use of chemical factories is also significant because in Tim Burton's Batman movie, um, and also his uh, origin story of the Joker, um, the chemical factory also plays a large part there. Now, once inside... Things go from bad to worse and a shootout takes place between the crooks and the security. And then the crooks are gunned down by the security there. However, the Dark Knight himself appears and confronts the engineer. In his, in, in his terror, the engineer trips and falls into a vat of chemicals and is flushed to the outside through all the pipes and everything else. And once he's outside, he discovers that his skin has been bleached chalk white. His hair has turned bright green. His lips have become ruby red from the chemicals. And from this concoction, the clown prince of crime, the jester of genocide, the harlequin of hate, the Joker is born. During the present day storyline, uh, the Joker has again escaped from Arkham and is on the loose. Um, and Commissioner Gordon and his daughter, Barbara, a.k.a. Batgirl, begin their regular... Um, father-daughter dinner they are surprised when there's a knock on the door only to find the joker himself stood on the other side at this point the joker shoots barbara and kidnaps commissioner gordon and takes him to the abandoned amusement park that the uh, joker has recently taken over killing its owner in the process he strips gordon of his clothes and begins to torture him by chaining him to one of the rides and forces him to look at giant naked pictures of Barbara, hoping to drive him insane. After this ordeal, Gordon is placed in the freak show. That, However, after some super sleuthing, Batman tracks the Joker and Commissioner Gordon to the amusement park. 
Here, the final confrontation between Batman and the Joker takes place. After subduing the Joker, Batman offers an unexpected olive branch of peace. Um, and he does it because what he's come to realize is at some point um, that one day either he is going to kill the Joker or the Joker is going to kill him. And uh, what Batman offers to do is to help the Joker, to help rehabilitate him. And it's at this point one of the really key moments and iconic moments within the book takes place. Now, what I'm going to do is, because I think actually the animated film nails this part absolutely perfectly and really gets the, um, captures the essence of the graphic novel here. And the, the famous joke that the Joker tells, um, which leads then to a somewhat um, enigmatic ending, if you would, um, that's open to um, a number of interpretations. So what I'm going to do now is I'm going to play you um, the excerpt from the animated uh, The Killing Joke. Um, of course, the voice of the Joker is Mark Hamill. Um, and along with my guest, um, in a little while, we'll, be, we'll probably be getting into the debate of who is the best Joker, uh, because everybody's got an opinion on that. So I'm going to stop talking for a little while and give you guys a bit of a rest from my voice. Uh, and I'm going to play you this little snippet, this little, this little excerpt of the final moments of the graphic novel. Well, what are you waiting for? Kick the hell out of me and get your standing ovation. Come on! No, not this time. I don't want to hurt you. I don't want either of us to end up killing the other. But we're running out of alternatives. Perhaps it all hinges on tonight. I don't know what it was that bent your life out of shape, but maybe I've been there too. Maybe we could work together. I could rehabilitate you. You don't need to be alone. We don't have to kill each other. Let me help you. I'm sorry. No, it's far too late for that. <laughs> you know, it's funny. This reminds me of a joke. See, there were two guys locked in a lunatic asylum. And one night, one night they decided they didn't like that anymore. They decided to escape. So they made it up to the roof, and there, just across this narrow gap, they see rooftops stretching across town, stretching to freedom. Now, the first guy, he jumps right across, no problem, but his friend, oh, no way, he's afraid of falling. So the first guy, he has an idea. He says, hey, I got this flashlight with me. I'll shine it across the gap between the buildings, and you can walk across the beam and join me. But the second guy says, what do you think I am, crazy? You just turn it off when I'm halfway across. <laughs> oh, <laughs> excuse me. <laughs> mm. <laughs> 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 
So that was the um, ending for the animated uh, film. Now, obviously, we're discussing the graphic novel. Um, and I'm going to throw this open to my co-host today. And so, John, what's your thoughts? What, you know, what for you are the strengths of the graphic novel? Uh, personally, for me, the strengths are the fact that it, it, it just runs really quickly. Yeah. You know, um, it's a very simple story to follow. Yeah. Um, there's no sort of um, plots within plots. It is what it is, you know. Uh, again, it sort of shows like the dynamic in the relationship between Batman and the Joker. You know, the fact that Batman is so desperate to try and not make peace as such, but be like, look, you know, we've got to sort this out now before the one kills the other. You know, that does reflect in the film, but it is definitely more apparent in the graphic novel for me you know um again how simple it is you know even right from that scene where he's walking through arkham you know it's all on one page you know when he's going past all like uh previous people that he has put in there himself you know um again how it flows uh it's, it's just it's just enjoyable to read really because you can you can get through it in like half an hour you know and still feel that you have read something that is very dark you know it's almost like the absence of information it, it means that they have put so much more information into it you know yeah yeah i completely agree with that and i mean for me one of the things that i really really enjoyed about it is the simplicity of the writing mm -hmm. um now alan moore um obviously the author of it you know very very clever man very very strange man um, he oddly enough he says it's the worst thing that he's ever written um, which he's I just wrong, yeah, I, yeah. <laughs> I think he is wrong I completely disagree because I think it is such a strong story it's oh, yeah. so well written there's no filler um, it's very very lean it moves at a brilliant pace and one of the other things that I always find really really interesting about it no matter how many times you go back and read it there's always something new that you take away from it. There's mm. always the different takes on it. Um, you, you can sort of read it one way and think about, oh, well, oh, it ends this way. Or you read it another day and think, oh, maybe it ended this way. It's such a good, uh, well-written uh, story. It's fantastic. And Brian Boland's artwork, I think, is is really, really good on this one. It's, it's, it's excellent, in fact. Mm -hmm. um, and again, I don't think there's, any, I think there's a lot of economy in his artwork. I don't think there's anything that's sort of over elaborate. Mm. Um, it's it's very lean. It's very masculine. Mm. It, it it is. I think for me, it's one of the better drawn bat books. Mm. Um, you know, so I don't. Given you know, with how simple the story is as well, sort of in between the main scenes, it kind of makes the main scenes then even more. Um, you know exposed you know and even bigger so like uh, the big joker monologue this uh, going through you know where he's sort of reciting how he became himself you know sometimes he remembers it this way sometimes he remembers it another way you know the fact that it, it's it's fairly monotone up until those points goes to show those points off even more do you know what i mean yeah yeah completely now what for me what what i really love as well is that i whenever i read batman mm -hmm. I, I always hear Kevin Conroy's voice. Naturally, yeah, yeah. Always hear Kevin Conroy's voice. 
And whenever I read the Joker, I always hear Mark Hamill's voice. And I will cover this a little bit more later on. But it's there's, there's something that is just absolutely perfect for those two characters to perform this book yeah. and i you know and that's one of the things but no matter what book i'm reading whether it's the uh, whether there's um, nightfall whether it's year one i still hear those two actors voicing them um so i think that leads us quite nicely into our next little bit talking about the graphic are there any weaknesses for you within this book um personally no uh Maybe it could be a bit more graphic in terms of it, it, its dark side, but the fact that there there's a lot that you you don't see but you can imagine makes it all the more terrifying. You know, it does sort of go off that old school way of doing horror in itself. You know, it's more the things that you can't see that scare you yeah, more than the yeah, things you can. Yeah. You know, and it's, it's it's there's a lot that's left to your own imagination. Um, personally, yeah, you know, it could be more graphic in terms of something to look at. But at the same time, the fact that it leaves so much to your own imagination, it sort of, it brings out your inner joker, you know, which I think is very good. Yeah, I mean, the other thing that I love, I do love the fact that it, you know, Batman lends itself really, really well, and particularly this story, to, to horror elements. Um, and what I would have really liked to have seen is some of those horror elements played up a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Um, that's just my personal preference. So, for example, with, you know, with the, the some of the kills that the Joker has, where you know, particularly the the, the park owner, mm, where right. he's left on the on the is it a rock like a rocking horse type? Is yeah, it like a big? A big yeah. I think that's that's really creepy, and I, I just wish there would have been just a little bit more of that, and the sort of the you know the um, the other victims that uh, are found, mm, the, the, the dentists and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, you know that and left with those rictus grin. I think that's you know that's really really well done, and I mean there is an argument for more. Mm-hmm. There's an argument for not showing less i mean if you think about the texas chainsaw massacre um where people think it's the most graphically violent horror film ever well actually you don't see anything really uh, i mean apart from obviously leatherface when he pops up and smashes that guy with a hammer <laughs> but there are large par- portions of that film where you think you've seen more than you actually have yeah. and, and again so i think my personal preference i would have liked to see some of the horror elements played up a little bit more but, I mean, that's a minor, yeah. minor, minor gripe. So, um, I think what we're going to jump into right now is um, our sort of our scores for this. So, out of 10, John, what would you give The Killing Joke? Uh, graphic novel-wise? Graphic novel. Graphic novel-wise, ooh, 9 out of 10, easily. Yeah, no, yeah. yeah, I would agree with that. And would you say it's a must-own, or it's a pick-up-and-read, or a one-off? Um... It's definitely not a one-off. It is a must-own. Uh, you know, there are key Batman stories that every Batman fan, throughout a self, throughout self-respect, really should just own. And, and they you are. Know? Which ones are they? Um, well, all the ones that were on my list in the beginning of the show. So if you're <laughs> listening, you you know what I was on about. Um, no, literally, Killing Joke is a must-own for everybody. You know, even if you, you know you're just a general comic book fan, it is one of those. You know, it's it's much like. Like from a musical perspective, you know, there are certain albums that everyone should just own, you know, and things like that. Yeah. Okay. And for me, um, I would say that the the, the book is a nine point five. Um, again, I think it is a must own. Um, I don't just think it's a good graphic novel. I think it's a good short story as well. 
Um, I think it's strong enough. It is definitely a must-own. Anybody who has a comic book collection or a graphic novel collection must have this. It's a must-own. Um, I think in terms of Alan Moore and his work, I think it's right up there with him. I know he doesn't agree with it, but there we are. Um, one, uh, and I think we'll touch on this uh, a little bit later, is when you look at the um, the ending, the you know the possible multiple endings that people read into it. But we'll look at that later. So it was a a nine from John, um, a nine point five from me, and both of us said that it was a must own. So what we're going to look at next is the recently released animated film. Um, so what we'll do is in a second we'll we'll go into that and we'll start off with I'll give a brief synopsis of the added scene with uh, Bakko and which brings a little bit more of her character to the front so we'll have a we'll have a chat about that in a second so now we're going to move on to our next uh, area which is looking at the animated film of Batman the Killing Joke now this was obviously a recent release and the cast includes all of the sim well probably I think probably 95% of the original animated series mm -hmm. um, which stars so we'll just rattle off the main sort of uh, the main stars of the film which are Kevin Conroy as Bruce Wayne slash Batman we've got Mark Hamill as the Joker Tara Strong as Barbara Gordon slash Batgirl and Ray Wise as Commissioner James Gordon um, it does deviate slightly from the uh, from the original graphic novel um, and I think with some mixed results. However, where it deviates the most is with an added section uh, for Batgirl, which in some ways I think it it enhances, but equally I think it takes away from the story. I don't know how you feel about that, John. Um, personally, you know, uh, I think it works in terms of making the film longer because, you know, let's not forget The Killing Joke is a very short story you know and you yeah. couldn't have made uh, an entire film purely on that without losing i think the main thread of the story so they had to add a little bit in i you know i i like the fact that they sort of gave it was more of like a sort of origin story for oracle you know and things like that you know i think that from that point of view it works but from the point of view of it just being solely about batgirl i nah you know that I think they could have done a lot more with it, and even like the story of, um, you know, if fall in love with like the the criminal that was on the street sort of thing. You know that nah, for me they could have done a lot better. I think. So here we go. We're going to jump into it a little bit. Yeah, I don't want to go too much into it, but do you think that the inclusion of this story in any way weakens? Batgirl makes her a little bit more of a victim, makes her a little bit more whiny because that's been some of the criticism that's been levelled at the animated film. Um, yes and no. Um, I think it was. A, I think it's a good story in terms of the development of Oracle, as I said. But in terms of Batgirl having her own sort of independence, I sort of think, well, it, it, you know, it, it did sort of miss a lot of. The emphasis on her character i think it you know it, it did show her and sort of yeah as you said like a weak sort of lighter giving up very easily on you know the bat family and handling you know the uh cape and cow straight away and just being done with it you know i think there should have been a yeah. lot more story and dialogue there okay well that brings us to what is the story then what is the added element well quite simply while out on patrol batgirl barbara gordon 
fails to stop the robbery but manages to stop one criminal with the help from Batman Paris France that's an awful name mm-hmm. that is a terrible name I have no idea what the writers were thinking but Paris France is an, just an awful name anyway she manages to stop Paris France the who was the leader and the nephew uh, of a powerful mob boss um, he then develops a dangerous obsession with her and starts sending her messages and after France tricks her into finding her uncle's dead body or his uncle's dead body I should say sorry Batman becomes concerned about her safety and takes her off the case he tells her that she will be eventually uh, tempted to try and kill the criminals that she pursues um, they get into an emotional argument which ends, which ends with them controversially having sex now I gotta be honest I don't think this the animated film needed to have a bad sex scene personally no that was, yeah it was very unnecessary um I don't know, it's sort of, like what you were saying, did it sort of make uh, Batgirl look weak, that part of the film? Nobra certainly sort of took away the innocence of the character, I think, for a lot of people. Um, again, yeah, no, it was just unnecessary. I remember watching in the cinema and sort of feeling ever so slightly awkward. And when you think of, uh, like, you know, the Batman family as it goes, you know... It, age-wise, it's a little bit screwed up. It's a bit creepy, you know I mean? it? It's very creepy. It's a bit creepy. Um, the fact that Bruce Wayne, um, as Batman, yeah, you know, was friends with James Gordon in the way that he was. You know, Batman being this whole sort of character that's all very much about truth and loyalty and being very loyal to Jim Gordon by doing that to his daughter is yeah. really like, you know. And I mean, and then straight away then, the next night, Batgirl tries to apologise uh, to Batman, but uh, they're ambushed by France uh, and his men uh, prompting her to come to his aid. Mm-hmm. Uh, when she arrives, she loses control and gives Franz a savage beating. She nearly kills him. Um, this is like the abyss yeah. sort of concept that yeah. is running throughout the entire film. You know? Yeah, yeah. And then realizing that Batman was right, she retires from crime fighting. Mm-hmm. That, in a nutshell, is the added element to the animated film. Um, the storyline remains incredibly faithful to the graphic novel mm-hmm. uh, to points where shots are beat for beat from the panel totally yeah. um, one thing I did one of the parts I really loved was to, um, Two-Face had dropped oh, this coin yeah, I love that, yeah. outside of his cell I thought that was really really good I really liked that um, he's clawing at it yeah, yeah yeah and I think the one thing that if anything that this uh, the animated film did bring to me uh, and we'll get into this now is for me Mark Hamill is my favourite Joker mm. he is my favourite Joker because within this universe he fits perfectly mm. and I think as the the bats sort of the, the people who watched the, the animated uh, series to begin with mm-hmm. as they've got older um, it's always his voice it's, it's, it's always it's, been his it's voice always in your mind what you imagine it's always been there but also He's developed the Joker, and the themes have become more mature. Mm-hmm. So, if you think about sort of the progression into the Arkham Asylum games, mm-hmm. again, that's a more mature Joker. Mm-hmm. Um, I, th- I know he didn't voice all of the Jokers, um, for all the Joker um, for a couple of the the animated y- sort of movies. Yeah, 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 I know he didn't do that, but I think this, in terms of his portrayal of the Joker. Um, I do think that this is his sort of pinnacle and I think his delivery of the the speeches and the soliloquies and the 
the aside to the camera about sort of remembering his, um, his past one way or the other and wanting it to be multiple choice mm -hmm. and his you know his delivery of the end speech that we listened to earlier I think beat for beat uh, for me he is that you know he is my favorite joker my mind has sort of changed in the last few weeks because I've always been like you know a Jack Nicholson fan massively um, you know I mean Michael Keaton is for me my live action Batman yeah you know yeah. totally you know Val yeah. Kilmer no Clooney let's not even go there well, you, mean you didn't like Batman <laughs> <laughs> no um, but my mind has changed and a lot of that has come from seeing Suicide Squad and yeah it is Leto Leto for me has got what I envisage as the Joker I think he's a, he's a modern day Joker isn't yeah, he totally. and he's very sort of he's very visceral mm -hmm. um, and I the reason why I like him is because I, I really didn't want to and you, you're not meant to like the Joker at all even yeah. though he's funny and stuff you're not meant to like him so the fact that I I love Leto as the Joker but I don't like him makes it better yeah you know totally yeah, yeah. and I mean again um, I remember when the uh, Tim Burton, when the first Tim Burton Batman film came out. Mm -hmm. um, I remember going to the cinema and seeing that not long after it was released, uh, which was amazing because I went to see it in. Um, it was in a cinema in Swansea, mm -hmm. and it's where they got the laser place in Swansea. Oh yeah, which is like an old, well, essentially it's an old Art Deco building, mm -hmm. and going to see it, and they had the big lights outside. Mm -hmm. So it looked like something from Tim Burton's Gotham City. So it was yeah, amazing going to see it in that theatre. And for me, Michael Keaton is sort of my on-screen Batman because I think he, he, for me, you know, he wasn't people's original first choice for the role because he was known for being a more more of a comedic mm. kind of character. But what he does bring to it is a real stillness and a real control. Yeah, totally. Yeah, which it hits I, all the bases really. Yeah. I mean, I think what did sort of really hinder him uh, big time within that was his uh, was the suit, yeah. which sort of you know didn't allow him to move shoulder movements. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but for me, he is. Um, I I don't I didn't mind Christian Bale as Batman. I didn't mind him. Mm -hmm. um, I think within that universe, he worked really really well. Mm -hmm. However, like I said at the beginning, whenever I read Batman. Um, it's for me. It's Kevin Conroy's voice. Always, yeah, always comes definitely. through, um, and he's and he's such a good actor. Mm -hmm. He, you know, he is such a good actor, and his voice carries a lot of gravitas. Mm. Um, so yeah, whenever whenever I read the book, I hear Kevin Conroy. But actually, my favorite on-screen Batman is Michael Keaton. Mm -hmm. But within this film, um, it really is a two-hander. Because I think Commissioner Gordon is a little bit sort of... Well, it's the weakest I've ever seen Gordon. Yeah, no, it is. Because if you think about Gordon in year one... Mm. Well, he's, he's in his prime then, you know. Yeah. He's going, you know, new department sort of thing. Straight into Gotham, you know. Um, yeah, no, totally. He was sort of weaker in The Killing Joke. But I think a lot of that, I mean, in the uh, graphic novel version, yeah that weakness isn't there he's just James Gordon it's a fairly minor part up until the point where he gets kidnapped and then he's sort of released and even then you know we still wanting Batman to bring the Joker in by the buck you know just to show him that you know that there is a difference you know um, but in the film I think he was made more weaker uh, for us to see like you know as viewers 
purely because then he's able to be as got as easily as he was by the Joker. You know, it, it was to yeah. make that yeah. sort of transaction of capturing James Gordon a lot easier. Yeah. You know, and for us to sort of think, well, yeah, no, he is a lot weaker. Therefore, it was a lot easier for you know Barbara Gordon to get shot and therefore become Oracle and things like that, rather than just reading it, it happen as tragically in the book it didn't it, it happened far simpler in the film yeah you know what's your take on the joker's musical number because in the book you read it and it's mm. more of a rhyme yeah totally but as a musical number um i kind of liked it it broke the film up really well i thought you know it well everyone likes to go out with a bang don't they you know it, it sort of you know as i said broke it up made it more entertaining um again you know the way that that was animated was amazing you know and you got far more from that and listening to that as a song than you did as reading it as a rhyme um personally when i was reading it as a rhyme it sort of it didn't flow as well as hearing it as a song you know so yeah no for me it worked really well yeah and i mean i think you know obviously your leads there with kevin conroy and mark hamill the their performances are incredibly strong incredibly strong and mark hamill i think vocally what he does is just is mind-blowing because the range of emotion that he's able to sort of bring out um and you can almost you could see the physicality you can see you can hear the physicality sorry you shouldn't you can't see you, you can you can hear the physicality in his voice um even down to the, the laughter oh yeah um so I think you know that, that was that was a really really strong thing. We touched on Batgirl being a weaker element. Mm -hmm. Were there any other weaker elements for you? Paris France, to be honest with you, I, I again get a totally different character in there. You know, yeah. as a reason, you know, really bad. And I think Batgirl didn't make herself weaker. That character made her entire motive in that film weaker. You know, I think yeah. that's where a lot of people are getting misconstrued. It wasn't Batgirl that was essentially weaker. It was more the story that she had to be a part of that yeah. made her weaker. You yeah. Know? You can see what they wanted to do to, oh, in totally, terms of yeah. trying to extend the story and sort of give a little bit more um, background to Oracle and those type of things. But as a story, as a whole, I don't think it worked quite as well as it yeah. should have. Yeah. The other thing that's always a major, major strength in any of the uh, Batman animated uh, films is the music of course yeah um i'm always blown away by the music within them and i just think it just it it, it almost becomes another character mm -hmm. um i don't know if you've got any thoughts on that or um well yeah you know i mean everyone recognizes you know the original adam west theme to you know anything that has been in like you know the nolan trilogy to anything that has been in the tim burton films you know they as you said add another character to the film um, but at the same time, orchestrally are just massive structures, like and songs. Uh, sorry, not structures, arrangements rather for us to digest as viewers. You know, uh, literally, it does. It brings your imagination a lot closer to it to have that as a backing um, with any sort of yeah. concept or anything at all. Really, yeah, you know? uh, I mean, for me, um, I'm particularly seeing it in the cinema. Mm -hmm. Um, it is it is immersive. It's a ve it's very very immersive as a film. Um, I think it works. Mm -hmm. um, I think running at about I think it's between eighty seven and ninety minutes long. Um, 
I think the time is about right. Any longer, if they tried to stretch it out any further, I don't think it would have worked. No. Um, and I really enjoyed it, and the time did fly by mm. when we were watching it. Um, to me, the first bit sort of seemed, again, you know, with uh, the Batgirl story to begin with, that really, it, it towards the end, it sort of dragged, and... To me, it sort of felt when we when we got to the point where the killing joke started, you know, that was like right, yeah, not now the film begins, you know, and bef even as soon as that thought has come into my head, you know, it's over, you know, mm. that's that's how short the killing joke as a story is. Yeah, you know, as I said, yeah, you know, it it, it was good that they put that part in, but they could have done so much more with it. Yeah, oh, completely, know? completely. Um, so. I think we've pretty much covered everything yeah. on The Killing Joke, both the graphic novel and the animated. Um, uh, I'll go first and I'll give my scores, because you went first last time. Mm -hmm. uh, for me, I would say this is a solid eight. It's a solid eight. If you're a Bat fan, I would say it's a must-own. Mm -hmm. If you're a completionist in terms of your, you know, of you must have everything, it's definitely a must own. Get a special edition with the little character as well. That's which cool. I've got, which yeah, is on the shelf right. over there, which I'm, I'm, I'm in two minds whether to open it or not. I'm still having that, that internal battle with myself. What I may do is buy another one just to be able to open it. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's probably. So, but yeah, that's me. Um, but for me, um, I would say this is I've struggled with this between I've, I've gone some days between a 7.5 and an 8 mm -hmm. but I would probably say that it's an 8 overall okay. uh, if you're a, like I said you're a bat fan it's a must own if you're a completionist it's a must own if you're somebody who's just got a curiosity for it I would say it's a high priority rental mm -hmm. um, it's on Amazon which you can, uh, which so you can rent it from Amazon uh, on their streaming service, but it's not on Prime. But I'm sure it will be very, very soon. Um, so yeah, so it's an eight point. This so was an eight for me. Mm -hmm. Personally, I would have said eight point five. Um, I was leaning more towards a solid eight, but yeah, no, eight point five for definite, really. Uh, yeah. would, would you say it's a must own or uh, uh, yeah no definitely you know i mean again if you if you're into like your animated batman or anything like that you know you, yeah you've got to have it um but then it's kind of like you know to sort of complete the set if you've got the book you have the film yeah it's as simple as that okay and that concludes our review discussion debate uh of Batman the animated the Batman the Killing Joke the animated film and the graphic novel. Um, for our last little segment before before we go into plugs, got a little bit of news, sort of things that have sort of caught my attention online and a few things that have popped up. Uh, the first one that sort of jumped up, I don't know how you feel about this because you're in the middle of where are you now with with Game of Thrones. What season are you on? Are you caught? Oh, up? I'm, I'm up to date. You caught? Now. You're up to date, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay. So when I say Jason Momoa cast as Eric Draven the Crow, how do you feel about that? Oh, Carl Drogo himself. Hmm. Cast as the crow as Eric Draven himself. No. No, no. I'm <laughs> not a big fan of him. I think he's not the greatest actor, and that's being really, really polite. Um, he single-handedly butchered Conan. Mm -hmm. 
Um, he was okay in Game of Thrones simply because all he had to do was look mean and grunt. And grunt. Yeah. So, but as Eric Draven, which is a fairly complex, mm. gothy character, and then when you think about Brandon Lee's portrayal of him, mm. um, yeah, not sold on that one. Um, another. They need to stop making pointless remakes of things that are really good, you know. Ghostbusters, you know, it, it just is <laughs> nah, mate. Come on. Um, here's another one, and I think this came up from uh, Bloody Disgusting, uh, the website. Uh, forgive me if I got it wrong, but Kevin Bacon is interested in playing Freddy Krueger. Yeah, that could. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. Maybe Footloose himself could be playing Freddy Krueger. Yeah, but it's it's always the ones you don't expect though to be awesome, innit? I mean, Batfleck, you know, so many people yeah, true. thought, oh my god, here we go, did Evil Mark too, but no. If anything, he saved the entire film, you know. Yeah. So yeah, I, I I've got to be honest, Batfleck has he has won me over. Mm -hmm. um, I'd like to, I, I'm looking forward to seeing his solo effort. Oh, totally. Apparently, that's going to take place all in Arkham as well. So yeah, mm, that's that, really that cool. would be badass. Uh, the other bit, and I'm very excited about this, very, very excited, is Kurt Russell is going to be playing Star-Lord's dad in Guardians of the Galaxy 2. Mm -hmm. um, big Kurt Russell fan, uh, particularly sort of his early stuff with John Carpenter. I'm very excited about that. And this is... They've recently uh, put online a full image of the new Pennywise for the new It film. Um, now we're both big Tim Curry friends yeah. from the Rocky Horror Show and of course I think one of your personal favourites which is Clue oh yeah always um, I think Bill Skarsgård uh, um, forgive me if I've butchered his name has got some massive shoes to fill mm -hmm. forgive the pun mm -hmm. um, but uh, he does look awesome he does look really creepy have you seen him yet? Uh, yeah you posted it the other day I saw a picture of it um Again, you know, if this if this is not broken, don't fix it. Well, I think know? it is broken though. That's the thing, because because it's it's all it's you know I know it, it was made for TV, mm. but it is absolutely brilliant. And I'm sorry, I'm gonna you know here's another spoiler, that big spider shows up at the end. Oh yeah yeah yeah. It, yeah, yeah. Which is just the, oh yeah. oh. There is that end of it. Yeah, it does sort of have a bit of a crappy end. It maybe you know if they. Uh, like you know the new modern day film that they're making you know if it was in some way more brutal and in terms of like modern horror better then yeah okay great you know but if it's like the same thing all the way through and it, nah it's just it's another Ghostbusters isn't it <laughs> <laughs> that, was, that was we went to see Ghostbusters uh, myself John and uh, and my wife and the three of us sat there scowling yeah. throughout so I don't know. I don't know whether we were a bit harsh on this because I know Josh picked me, Josh Legary from the horror movie podcast picked me up on one of their episodes about uh, you disagreed that because I said it was a terrible film and avoid at all costs. I don't know whether or not I was being a little bit harsh after coming out of there. You were just angry, mate. That's all it was. You were just angry. Maybe I need to go back and watch <laughs> it again. Um, but here's the other bit that uh, another bit of news that I'm really really excited about is the. Lone Wolf and Cub series. The uh, I think you've got the DVDs collection in my house, uh, at your house actually. 
um, is getting a Criterion release. Now, for those of you who don't know, is that uh, the Lone Wolf and Cub is part of the Chombara genre of cinema. It's a samurai film. Um, there's, you know, it's based on a, a bunch of best-selling manga, uh, and the story evolves around uh, the Shogun's executioner, a guy called Ito Ogami, uh, who in the original films, um, I don't think they've been, re- they're not going to be remade since, but I don't know why I'm saying original, but in the films are played by Tomoshibara or Wakayama, uh, who takes to wander in the countryside as an assassin along with his infant son Daigoro. Um, who, and they've got this pram which is just full of like uh, different weapons so like blades pop out of the side I think there's at one point it's got like some kind of gatling gun in it it is absolutely brilliant and he sort of wanders the countryside sort of helping people um, in the hope that he can someday uh, seek revenge for his uh, murdered wife it's absolutely brilliant the blu-ray that's coming out is jam-packed with um, extras included and this is where i'm really really excited is a hd presentation of shogun assassin now those of you who probably know this anyway but shogun assassin was the in all six uh, lone wolf and cubs films they chopped them up and made them into one film um and then it was released um as a I watched it as a bootleg in this country. Oddly enough, I rented it from a video shop and it turned out to be a bootleg. Um, oh, I got a Warriors bootleg up the house. Yeah, but it absolutely blew my mind. Mm. There's an amazing uh, duel where he's fighting somebody and he's got this kid strapped to his back mm. um, and they get in the river um, and he ducks his head and the kid's got like a little mirror on his... Uh, uh, sorry, they get in the mirror. They get in the river um, and uh, you can tell how excited I am. Um he ducks his head and the kid has got a little mirror on his head which then blinds the other guy and he chops his head off it's absolute brilliant it's it's amazing um like i said if you dig it i think um they're probably i know where they are actually in your house but they, you should watch them they're amazing um and that is pretty much all from me um it's just left us to sort of say where you can find us um you can find me on facebook you can find me on Twitter at Hugh said that, um, and yeah, that's pretty much all from me. So, John, I know you've got a, th- a couple of important things going on. So, where can the listeners find you? Uh, you can find me on Facebook uh, as John Hunt, John with a H, or at uh, Foreign Legion Band page, which is also on Facebook. Um, Foreign Legion South Wales Punk uh, Agrobeat Records. Uh, yeah, that's about it excellent that's great look first of all i'd like to say thank you very much for being on uh hope we can have you on again very very soon um i think we're going to do a um, a green room episode yeah so yeah. that'll be uh so i've got to, i promise i will get around to watching that um for my our next episode we're gonna be looking at luci fulci's uh zombie flesh eaters um so i'm looking at that bit of italian splatter for us all here but a euro horror um, so all that's left for me to say is in the immortal words of Count Dacula good night out there whatever you are <laughs> <laughs>